Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Podcast. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, the Director of Marketing at Curve Beam. Thanks for joining us this episode as we continue to explore how our solutions are changing medicine. Today's guest is Dr. Alexei Barg, MD, who is a foot and ankle orthopedic surgeon at the University of Utah, where he works closely with Dr. Charles Saltzman. Dr. Barg served as the head of foot and ankle surgery at University of Basel prior to joining University of Utah. He currently serves as a reviewer for numerous medical journals, including Foot and Ankle International and Journal of Biomechanics. Dr. Barg has published on research topics including biomechanical and kinematic characteristics of total ankle replacements and advanced imaging and advanced image data analysis. Dr. Barg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Vinny, for inviting me. Thank you. So um, I recall having the opportunity to shadow you in clinic about two years ago, and I remember uh, getting a tour of the foot and ankle research lab at University of Utah. Uh, it was really impressive, um, just the size of the lab and the breadth of topics that your team was investigating. Uh, can you talk about some of the projects that you currently have underway at the lab? That indeed, we have. Uh, we are really fortunate to have a great biomechanical, but also research lab here at the University of Utah. And in the last two years, the major point of my research is actually around weight-bearing CT. In 2017, Dr. Nicola Cranville joined us as a research fellow. He spent with us a year. He is from Switzerland, and uh, we started working on two major projects regarding weight-bearing CT. So we did two cadaver studies addressing syntesmotic instability, but also the subtalar instability. Then a year after, in 2018, Dr. Arne Bursens joined us from University of Kent. He spent several months with us in 2018. And actually, he used the same data set, which were collected by Dr. Cranbill, and uh, to try to understand how we can use the imaging better to address the little differences, or for example, subtle instabilities of the least frank or syndesmotic joint. Um, right now, I'm also fortunate to be able to work with Dr. Sripanich. He's from Thailand, and he just joined our department as a research fellow again. And right now we're working on uh, another cadaveric study addressing the usefulness of weight-bearing CT in possible least frank injuries. That's a short summary of research regarding weight-bearing CT, which we've done in the last two years. That's really interesting. What uh, drew you to weight-bearing CT? Why is that the area of research you've chosen to go in and, and oversee? Um, we started using weight-bearing CT uh, several years ago. Probably our department here at the University of Utah was one of the first to start to use weight-bearing CT in the daily uh, clinical use. And um, we knew already how useful this imaging modality could be, for example, in the patients with degenerative changes or in the patients with an obvious deformities. But I think um, we should not just limit 
the use of weight-bearing CT in these patient groups. We were also interested to see, for example, in the patients with instability where you may see some differences in alignment of the joints or in the overall alignment of the hind foot, mid foot, and all forefoot, whether the weight-bearing CT can be useful. And I think every time you start to use a new imaging modality in completely new uh, setting of questions, I think it's always good to start first with basic research, for example, that you can just perform a cadaver study to understand this problem a little bit in more detail. That's why we started working on research with Weight-Bearing CT here at this department. Um, can you talk about, uh, and I got to hear you present on this topic recently at the Weight-Bearing CT International Society meeting in Las Vegas, uh, which just concluded in mid-March. Uh, you presented on uh, the studies uh, that were conducted with Dr. Cranbull and then continued with Dr. Burson's looking at syndesmosis. And like you said, you started with a cadaver study. So uh, can you discuss what you found when you measured those, uh, when you put the cadavers on the weight-bearing CT and, and what happened when you, uh, I don't want to give it away, I guess the answer, um, but when you started adjusting some of the parameters? Uh, let me give you just a short background why we started with this study. So syndesmotic injury is a very common one, and uh, it actually occurs more commonly than uh, many uh, doctors do believe, because it's not just about the isolated syndesmotic injury. It can also occur in a significant percentage of all patients who have just a simple ankle sprain or a simple ankle fracture. And... Um, if we have an obvious fracture, for example, of the fibula with obvious widening of the syndesmosis, then I don't think you really need weight-bearing CT because then you can for sure see um, a widening on conventional radiograph. So it's really easy to diagnose. However, it can become complicated in the patients with a chronic or subtle, which means incomplete syndesmotic instability. Quite often, I see the patient in my clinic, and quite often I would say at least once a month that the patients come for a third or fourth opinion. They even had the surgery in the past, but the surgery did not address the current problem, which is actually subtle syndesmotic instability. So um, the problem is it's really hard to detect because um, the syndesmosis is still partially intact. And even if you ask patient to stand, so to put the full weight, the X-rays appears completely normal. The problem is with conventional radiographs, it's still a two-dimensional measurement. And the syndesmosis complex, as you can imagine, is a three-dimensional structure. So here we get the advantage of the weight-bearing CT. And before we apply this imaging in our patients, we went to the lab, we created the anatomic model of the subtle syndesmotic instability. And then we figure out that it's not important just to apply the weight, but also to apply a torque. And we actually need a new advanced imaging methods, which were done by Dr. Bursens. This is so-called templating method, which means we can compare, for example, the healthy side versus injury side. And then we can detect very, very small dif uh, differences in imaging. Uh, using the weight-bearing CT, which we were not able to detect using conventional radiographs.
What I think is, is really interesting, you talked about in your presentation what the literature says um, as far as using conventional radiographs and MRI to evaluate the condition. And I always think it's when you're talking about imaging, you should always kind of talk about it in the context of all of the options available. So could you talk about the pros and cons of conventional radiograph and MRI for this particular pathology? First of all, conventional radiographs, it's the imaging everybody has an access to. It doesn't matter which country, it doesn't matter what time of the day, um, everybody has an x-ray machine. And um, I would still say nowadays, the conventional radiographs is the um, uh, gold standard to address the syntesmosis. And in some patients, it's just enough to get the x-rays because if you see the obvious widening, then uh, I don't think um, the weight-bearing CT is absolutely necessarily to get additional value. However, in the patients where you don't see the clear widening of the syntesmosis, and especially when you plan the surgery and for the surgery, so you need to correct the deformity, not just in two dimensions, you need to plan it, to correct it in three dimensions, then I think the weight-bearing CT is extremely important. Um, regarding the MRI, also MRI has, of course, some advantages. Um, if you would like to visualize the ligament structure stabilizing synthesis, I think MRI is still the best imaging. However, MRI has also several disadvantages. So first of all, it's for sure the cost, um, especially in the United States where many patients have, have a certain copay. Um, MRI imaging is still the, one of the most expensive imaging uh, you can apply for foot and ankle. The second big advantage is, okay, disadvantage is, okay, you see some damage of the synthesmotic ligament structures, but you still don't know how important this damage is. So because MRI is not a weight-bearing um, imaging modality, we cannot appreciate the alignment. And then sometimes we see some damage, but we don't know, is this damage really functionally important? Is this damage is responsible for instability, for pain the patient has, and this question cannot be answered by MRI. Are there any manipulations you can do of the foot that would simulate that torque that was required that could then maybe reveal a syndesmosis that otherwise is too subtle to pick up on radiograph or normal clinical exam? Yes. Um, as we started planning our study, for us it was important that when we perform the study, the results should be ultimately be able to use in our daily clinic. So we actually applied a very low torque. It's just about 10 newtons and newton meters. And this torque can be, uh, uh, can be applied by any of our patients if you just ask them to stand on one leg and you just ask them to turn to the left or to the right, depends whether you wanna get the internal or external torque. And in the meantime, we created a radiolucent platform. We can just put it inside the weight-bearing CT. And while the patient's standing on this platform, if they try to turn the ankle, we can actually measure with this platform the torque they apply. And the advantage of weight-bearing CT, it takes just several seconds, just a few seconds to get the imaging, to complete the imaging. So I think it's very well applicable in ours um, in the clinic. And again, this was very important for us to make sure that we not just do like a research and to get some data. And we wanted to use this data later for our daily base because I am 
first line, I'm foot and ankle surgeon. The research I'm doing, this is my, my, my hobby, you can tell. And so therefore, every time I do a new study, I question myself how we can use the results of this study later in our daily practice and ultimately to help our patients. Um, I want to go back to something you said um, about Dr. Burson's study where he compared the uh, foot that was uh, the, the patient was complaining about compared to the healthy side. Uh, so for syndesmosis, would you say that observing the bilateral or contralateral foot, how essential is it to proper evaluation or proper diagnosis? It is extremely important. So first of all, um, the syndesmosis complex demonstrate quite high variability between each patient. So which means that it may look abnormal on x-rays or on CT scan, and it can be abnormal. However, it is important to compare to another side, to uninjured side. And actually the method, the templating method, uh, which was developed by Dr. Bursens, is actually rely on the previous imaging of the contralateral healthy side. So then we can detect those differences. But this is an extremely important, and many of my patients, not just with syndesmonic injury, I like to proceed with bilateral imaging. That means that the both feet and ankles are, are imaged to make sure that what we see, it's really pathological, or is it just how the patient's feet look like? Mm-hmm. So uh, for for this particular injury, um, having a weight-bearing CT scanner that has the bilateral capability as opposed to only one, uh, a field of view that can only accommodate one foot at a time, that could be an advantage in this case. This is a big advantage because, of course, if you have a machine which allows just only to scan one side, you can do just one side after another side. But first of all, um, allowing the patients to standing with both feet, we have a more equal or more natural uh, standing position. The second part is, of course, the time. If we have to scan both feet one after another one, it's just more time consuming. And a very important point, of course, is the radiation. We know that the weight-bearing CT has a quite low radiation, which is much lower in comparison to the conventional CT scan. But you can imagine if we have to perform the same imaging for the left and then also separately for the right side, then we expose the patients to the double radiation which we can, of course, avoid if we have an appropriate machine allowing the patients to scan both feet and ankles at the same time. Thank you. Those are uh, uh, those are all really valid points. Um, are there other indications uh, like syndesmosis where you see that having a bilateral exam does make a difference and does enhance your ability to evaluate? Yes. So every time, for example, when we see, okay, there is, there could be an anatomic variability and then every anatomic variability needs to be confirmed. Is it like, is it, a, does it have any pathological values? For example, the orientation of the distal fibula or the length of the distal fibula is another um, setting of questions we can use it. So quite often we proceed for bilateral, for bilateral imaging. This was one of the examples. Okay, great. Um, so going back to uh, some of the other research topics uh, that you look at in the lab, I remember at that time uh, when I was there two years ago, you were in the process of initiating a study to look at 
digitally reconstructed radiographs to verify their accuracy. Um, is that study still underway? Uh, was it completed? Can you provide us an update on that one? Yeah, this study is still on the way, but however, we were able to publish the preliminary results. This was the major work by Dr. Bursens. And um, there is a several studies also from my previous research work showing that there is a high um, validity of digital reconstructed radiograph. And I'm not sure everybody is familiar with this term DRR. So DRRs is actually you can use the 3D data set, which you just get from weight bearing CT and um, the software we're using on every weight bearing CT machine allows us to create those so-called fake radiographs. Those are DRRs, digital reconstructed radiographs. And actually there is already some clinic, including the clinic by Professor Richter from Germany, who is actually using only those radiographs in his daily practice. And now we're also starting to use those radiographs more and more in our daily practice. So are are there situations where you're replacing the radiographic exam with just weight-bearing CT exam because you know you're going to get those DRRs with the weight-bearing CT? Yes. So quite often when I see the patient, that's a still traditional that the patient gets for the uh, before they see me at all in the clinic, the set of uh, weight-bearing x-rays. However, I'm using weight-bearing CT not just for preoperative, but also for postoperative imaging, for example, to check how it's looking, for example, when we perform the fusion, how is the fusion status? Or, for example, when the patients had a fracture, and we're a little bit worried about the union status, which means how actually the fracture is healing, then I actually move on with weight-bearing CT. And sometimes I found it's a little bit easier for the patient to demonstrate him still the x-rays rather than to demonstrate him the weight-bearing CT scans. So in this situation, I always uh, get, in addition to original weight-bearing CT imaging, also DRRs, digital reconstructed radiographs. That's a good example how to use them and how to improve the understanding also for the patient, not just for the doctor. Sure, because if you're not looking at CT scans every day. A three millimeter slice does not make as much sense as seeing all the your entire anatomy in in one image and understanding exactly what's happening. So that makes sense. That's exactly makes sense. That's exactly what I tried to explain. Yes, that's much easier for the patient for the patients to see the X-rays also because they saw the X-rays prior to the surgery. So for the patients, it's much easier to understand how was the progress. And what sometimes I like to do, I just put like two x-rays at the same time. On the left side, we see the conventional radiographs prior to the surgery. And on the right side, we see the digital reconstructed radiographs after the surgery to see the progress, how it's healing. I know you said that it sounds like the work in terms of the Liz Frank injuries is kind of in the nascent stages, you're just kind of starting, but are you seeing anything similar there or do you starting out to have similar theories where I think maybe MRIs historically or have been the standard of care to look at the Liz Frank ligament to see if it's torn or not. And a lot of times that's uh, one of the main uh, uh, factors that go into a diagnosis 
are you are you seeing just like syndesmosis that weight bearing CT is revealing some very subtle uh, um, deformities in the foot or dislocations in the foot that's changing how what we've thought about the Liz Frank injury until now? That's actually similar to syndesmosis. Um, the very obvious Liz Frank injury, especially in combination with the fracture. Those can be quite easily diagnosed just using conventional radiographs. And sometimes, again, I start with weight-bearing radiographs. I proceed with the contralateral side to see the difference. And then quite often I see the difference. And then we can plan our treatment. Problematic are the patients who um, tell me, okay, they had kind of midfoot sprain about a year ago. Um, it swells up, but the patients were still able to walk, even to continue sports activities. But since then, every while they feel pain, they cannot back to the sports level they would like to or they were before the injury. Those patients actually bring quite often MRI with them. And um, they said, okay, the doctor took a look on MRI and says everything looks just fine on MRI. And when I review the imaging, I never review the report, but I review the imaging itself, then I can see, okay, there is some very unspecific swelling, maybe some small edema, but um, is it really relevant? Really don't know. And especially in those patients, the way bearing CT can give us a more clarity what's going on with the patients, because again, we can assess the alignment of the midfoot, and we can actually also assess this alignment on the way bearing, which is extremely crucial for any least frank assessment. Um, so this is like one of examples where I would say the previous image, including weight-bearing conventional radiographs, but also MRI, did not really help to get the appropriate diagnosis of this problem. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for the Liz Frank research that you're doing, are you going to be following a similar method where you first look at cadavers and you might try to see how different forces affect stability of the midfoot and then... Um, and then extrapolate that. We actually already started this study. We're about halfway uh, regarding the number of the cadavers, and I can summarize it very quickly. So what we're doing, we do um, all imaging with and without weight bearing. Um, and already now we were able to see that the weight bearing is extremely crucial. There is a test, so-called abduction test, with, uh, where you can abduct the first metatarsal to see the difference. I don't think this test is... Uh, important so far, we were not able to detect any differences in our study, and I can imagine this could be quite painful for the patients to get this test done. It's completely different than just the torque on the syntesmosis. And um, again, we are not interested in a complete syntesmotic disruption. We actually also create the complete dis uh, dis uh, uh, disruptions just as a positive control but we are interested just to dissect um, single ligaments, which we think could be responsible for the subtle incomplete least frank instability. And we are addressing those situations, those conditions. Hmm. Um, is it too early to say, or could you, could you provide us an insight on maybe what are some of those, those isolated ligaments, which we didn't realize their importance previously? This is way too early to say. The problem is, uh, it's also, I just had a prior to this talk, a meeting with our research team, and um, we need actually for all of our projects a big help from statistician department, statistics department, because we have so many conditions, we have so many data sets, 
And quite often we cannot just use a simple statistical test to assess the difference. But um, I hopefully next year for AUS or AOFAS, when we have another um, weight-bearing CT International Society meeting, we will for sure present those results. And of course, we will be able to get them published within a year or two. Sort of a, a broad question. What are you looking forward to in the next five to 10 years? Uh, what impact do you think this technology will have on the foot and ankle orthopedic profession, um, either clinically or in terms of research or both? Uh, what are your predictions? What are your anticipations? I do remember we discussed this question uh, in Las Vegas a couple of months ago at uh, uh, AUS meeting, and I was probably the most optimistic from all members of the society. I, I really think that weight-bearing CT use will grow in the next five to 10 years. I'm still very realistic. I think um, the majority of indication for weight-bearing CT would still be uh, degeneration uh, of the hind foot, of the midfoot, or of the forefoot, which means uh, osteoarthritis. Uh, we will for sure use it more and more to assess the alignment, for example, to see how is the position of the heel in relationship to lower leg, in relationship to the axis of the tibia. I personally think we will using it more and more for those complex patients, including the subtle instabilities. And we've done um, quite many research in the last two years, but all the research will based on uh, based on, cadaver, on on cadaveric studies. So right now we're planning to start our studies on our patients, which means we will now try to use the weight bearing CT in the clinical setting. Of course, it is it is even harder to get to plan the study because we need the IRB approval. So this is institutional review board to make sure that we don't harm our patients. So we we need we need to to plan it more carefully and it just needs more time and more effort than to perform a simple in parenthesis uh, cadaveric study. But I would say in the next five, 10 years to summarize it, I'm for sure I see weight-bearing CT to be used more for degeneration and alignment of all parts of feet, including hind feet, mid feet, but also forefeet. Um, the following 10 years, we will then probably start to use it more and more in our clinical setting in the patients with uh, ligamentous instabilities. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thank you so much. Um, it's really inspiring to hear about all the different uh, research efforts you have underway. And we didn't talk about it in as much detail, but you also have uh, quite a busy clinical practice um, where uh, you incorporate weight-bearing CT daily. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your insights. And I think any of these topics, we could delve into them even deeper and talk for hours more. So I hope you will come back again as a, a podcast guest and uh, continue the conversation. Um, is there, if anyone's interested in either contacting you about some of your research efforts or anything else, is there a best way that you can be reached? Oh, yeah. The best way is always to send me the email. My email is alexi, A-L-E-X-E-J dot bark, B-A-R-G at H-S-C dot Utah, U-T-A-H dot E-D-U. And I would probably just put this email address in the descriptions of the podcast.
So uh, the colleagues or anybody who is interested in research or clinical applications, or if somebody is interested in any of publications of our group and cannot get them, um, uh, feel free to contact me so I will respond for sure. Well, thank you again. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Curve Beam Connect podcast. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the next uh, foot and ankle uh, medical conference, um, but also uh, look forward to following your work and, and seeing uh, what more you publish on Weightbearing CT. You're very welcome, Vinny, and I look completely forward to work um, on this interesting subject. I really believe that it can improve um, the diagnosis and ultimately the care of our patients. Um, if anybody interests, they should also look, and I would probably also add this link to the link of the Weightbearing CT International Society um, at every big meetings, including AOFAS summer meetings, including AUS annual meetings. We always have a sessions where our group presents the research but also we invite uh, external speakers because not only we are working on this topic, there is several, several, several research labs working on it. So you're very welcome to get in contact with us. You're also very welcome to get uh, to our meetings. And um, thank you, Vinky, very much for inviting me today. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye, Vinky. Bye. -bye, Bye.